All right, we're hooked up, ready to go. Good to see all of y'all uh, here uh, again, and I uh, hope that this lesson will be beneficial to all of you. Uh, as I talked about last week, we were looking at wisdom in our, I believe it was our 9 o'clock class, or 11 o'clock class, and uh, I figured that I would continue on talking about this topic and, you know, if you recall from the last class, when we think about wisdom, it is the application of knowledge. So we know certain things, it's proper application of it. We talk about somebody being wise. A lot of times Proverbs talks about the wise man and the foolish man. And really the, the difference there with that wise man is a lot of times it says that he has understanding uh, he's, I mean, he's just using his head. Usually this individual, we'll talk about this later, on, this person is a God-fearing individual. They're using their godly, godly wisdom, applying those things properly. And I think what we ought not to forget, and this thing is not even on. I just realized that. I don't know if I'd have that hooked up or not. And it may not even be turned on. I thought it was on. Maybe that's why it's not working. Okay, we'll look at. We're going to be going to be looking at Proverbs chapter eight, and uh, I must have, must have cut that off. But Proverbs eight, and hopefully this will come up on the screen. But it's a description of wisdom that we looked at last last Sunday, and it's like a a woman that's just out in the street yelling out. All right, that's crying out. Verses 8, verses 1 through 6, it says, Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O man, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. All right, and so you get this picture: the wisdom is there; it's calling out for us. It's, it wants to be heard. It, it wants to be uh, gotten, if you will, by men, and that we can all understand. We can all have wisdom. We can all have prudence, and even calls out to the fools that they can have. An understanding heart. And so it's not as though that there's just going to be some people that just are fools right from the get go and there's nothing that they can change. It usually has to do with their willingness uh, to get wisdom. Matthew 7 again tells us that if we seek those things, seek certain things we're going to find, knocking it will be open to you. And also in James as well, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So again, this is something that we can all receive. And I think a lot of times people, they kind of mix up wisdom and intelligence, all right? And so that's simply not the case here. And that, again, this is not, we know that, and I think we've all seen, I've personally known the people who, they're godly people, but they're not educated, all right? They haven't graduated high school. I personally know of people that I would say are very wise and they can barely read. 
even in this day of age. It's hard for it takes a bit long time just to read anything, all right? And so what we can see is that these same individuals learn how to act properly, learn how to act in accordance to God's will. Why? And it's because they sought those things. Proverbs 17 and verse 24, it says, Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. And so you get this picture of those that are understanding. Wisdom is in the sight of him. All right, so he can look out and it's, it's right there. It's right there in front of his face. He can grab it, okay? But what are those of the fools? What about the eyes of the fool? They're on the ends of the earth, all right? So they're, you know, you think they're, they're not concerned about wisdom. You know, they may be trying to find wisdom in other ways, and they may, they may be focused on, you know, the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, those sorts of things. And you just see that they're just out and about looking all across the earth. All the while, wisdom, if he had understanding, wisdom is sitting there inside of him. It's right in front of him, yet they choose not to accept it. Also, uh, interesting verse here. We, we read uh, this section of Scripture pretty regular, it seems. But in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11, it says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. All right? So he's telling them the things in which they should be doing. They had received the law, and he's saying... These things which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, right? This is not hard for you to understand, should not be hard for you to understand. It is very plain, all right? So you can understand all that I'm telling you, okay? And he goes on, he says that they're, you know, they're, they're, the word of the Lord is, you know, is given to them. It is in their hearts. But what is the problem? When is it going to become a problem for them to follow his commandments, in verse 17, it says, But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. So it's not too mysterious for them, but when is it going to be hard for them to hear? Or when they can't hear, it's going to be when their hearts turn away from them. And you think about this for a moment. So you think about the issues in the church today. Uh, when you think about the more difficult things, okay, so you think about interpreting the book of Revelation or any of those harder things is just more difficult. Do the people in the church have conflicts about that? I mean, well, it, 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 I'm talking about real conflicts. Like there's a big issue. It's causing division amongst the church. You usually don't see in those types of very, very difficult things these Splits or these huge contentions over those types of issues. What are the real conflicts? So when we think about all the, the, the divisions amongst the, the amongst the church, what is it about? It's usually not about those hard to understand things. It's usually about the plain things. So the organization organization of the church, how the church uses this money. You think about divorce and remarriage. Those things are very plain, or at least I think they are. Now, just I sent an article to Andrew. Well, yesterday, somebody talking about very simple things. They're talking about, when Paul talks about if you commit these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And this article was explaining why inherit the kingdom of God does not mean that, 
or they were distinguishing between inheriting the kingdom of God and entering the kingdom of God, and that those things aren't really two of the does not mean the same thing. And so they're taking this very, very simple concept and just making it much more complicated than it really is. And so you see that a lot in the church when you think about this false teachings, that they're taking these plain things, twist them, making it to where they seemingly more difficult than what it really is. But what is the real issue here? It's because their heart turns away. And those people that are causing that, I think a lot of you in this room have witnessed that, that really what happens when these people start making these things much more complicated is, at the end of the day, it's their heart turning away from the Lord. All right? And so with us gaining wisdom, applying properly this knowledge that God has given us, we have to make sure, again, we can understand it, but we have to make sure that the heart is focused on God, that the heart is not turned away from Him. Colossians 1 and verse 21, it says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, under which, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, Paul here, he's talking about Christians are now being reconciled. They're reconciled through Christ's death to present them holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So this is what God is doing for us. This is what Jesus is doing for us. And it's only through him that we can be reconciled and ultimately presented as holy and blameless and above reproach. Okay, But on this earth... God is doing this. We're being reconciled through Christ. But we're also told that even though this is being done for us, that we ourselves ought to be striving for holiness and blamelessness. All right? So we're being reconciled, but also while we're here on this earth, we're supposed to be acting according uh, to this plan. You know, again, God's will and acting holy, be ye holy for I am holy, and then being blameless. I believe Second Peter 3, he's talking about being blameless in this corrupt and perverse generation. I believe that's what, what he says. But uh, we see again that this is who we ought to be. Okay? And so going to where we ended last class, if you remember that we looked at Colossians 4 and verses, and verses 5 and 6, and then also in Ephesians 5. And Colossians 4, it says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And a lot of times when I read this verse, you just kind of, at least for me, you kind of just sense the urgency here, that there is, you know, there's, there's, all the things that are going out in the world, but yet you walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, those that are unbelievers. You're redeeming the time. You're buying back the time. Buying back the time. You're making the most of your time there. All right. And then he continues to let your speech also be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So every day I get up. I ought to be considering and thinking about how or what are the best ways for me to walk 
toward those who are outside. So you think about coworkers, you think about maybe even possibly family members. What am I doing? Am I setting a proper example of who I am as a Christian? Or, you know, I think a, a lot of times we uh, we make up excuses that maybe sometimes we'll have a bad day, all right? And then we'll just blow up and say, well, I'm just having a bad day. And uh, really, when we think about that and comparing this to this verse, if I am acting in, in that way, what's it going to show to those who are outside? It's going to say, well, this person may claim to be a Christian, but you see this person acting in this way. I don't know if he's really walking the walk. He's talking the talk, but he's not walking the walk. And so this is really a 24-7, 365 deal here that we ought to always be focusing and thinking about ways in which we can set that proper example for for those that are around us and, and, and answering of them in the proper manner as well. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And so, walk in wisdom, and then that you walk circumspectly. This idea of circumspectly means like carefully. The New American Standard will render search verses that use circumspectly as, as careful. All right, and so you're walking carefully, you're paying attention to what you're doing. Again, this idea of redeeming the time, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. A few verses above, you'll see Paul talking about how those who are Christians are now walking in the light. It says, "For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." For the fruit of the Spirit is, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expo- expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So, you once were darkness, now you're a light. So now that you're a light, you walk as children of light. You find out what is accepted of the Lord. What is our relationship with the works of darkness? Well, we're to have no fellowship with them. Those things are to be done away with. We cast them aside. We try to get away from them as far as possible. We have no fellowship with those things, but rather we expose them. Right, And so we have this contrast between the light and the darkness. And then we get back to verses 15 and 16. It says, because of this, because you're walking in light, all right, we recognize that we're going to be you know, near those that are in darkness. And so we walk circumspectly. All right? we, be, we are careful in how we do this. And so Colossians 4 seems to be more of how we how we interact with those that are outside, so interact with those with unbelievers. But it seems to me in Ephesians 5, it's talking more about how we walk or you know, deal with ourselves and not so much about those that are outside, but we be careful in how we act, all right, because we can slip up, you know, because the days are evil, because that influence is always around us, all right, and so we be careful how we walk. We be careful how we do things every single day.
Exodus 23, verse 13, I did a little search on circumspect, and, 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 and this verse came up, and I, I just think it's very interesting and in, in how well it connects with what we're talking about here today. Exodus 23, and verse 13, it says, And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Okay? So, again, I've given you some instructions in which you ought to be obedient to. You be circumspect, and you make no mention of the name of other gods. Okay? So you walk circumspectly in obedience, and also we see that we are to make no mention of the name of other gods. That's pretty interesting there. You think about what is the reason for that? Why not even? Why do we not even talk about that? And you think about that for the Israel and and for the Israelites that if I'm not even going to talk about those things, all right, my kids are not going to hear about them from me. If everybody in Israel is doing what they're supposed to be doing, not talking about that, there's going to be generations that are growing up, and they don't, they don't even know about these other gods. There is no way that they can even uh, com- you know, comprehend the fact that there be other gods, right, unless there's some foreigner that comes in, all right? So that concept is just out of the mind. There's no way to be influenced about that. There's no way to be uh, influenced in the fact that they start thinking about those gods, and they start thinking, well, you know, what about their worship? How are they doing things? They may go over to that bell worship and like, man, this is this is a party over here. I like the way they're doing things here. All right, and you can see how those wheels start turning. Okay, and so it seems here that the principle of even not even mentioning those gods is to go to extreme lengths to remove any influence of evil. Now, a lot of times we say, ho ho, now easy, easy. Now we need there's some balance here. Okay. Don't, we don't have to go that crazy in removing any influence of evil. But yet we see here that this is what God wanted them to do. And I think what we'll see in the New Testament is that there's the same idea, that we need to remove it. We need to get away from it as far as possible, even go to those extreme lengths to remove it uh, from our lives. And so... You think about all these different evil influences that we could have. Think about TV shows. We could have an entire lesson about how TV shows or movies can influence people. Uh, Internet, I mean, there's nothing else needs to be said about that. There's plenty of it. You go search around for it, you're going to find it, all right? And so Internet, we have social media. Uh, You think about the issues that Facebook causes and... You think about Twitter or Snapchat or the new thing, which is TikTok, and the nonsense that comes out of that and how it influences individuals to where it just, it just like it affects their whole brain. It just, I mean, it just changes people's personalities when, when you get so wrapped up into that type of stuff. You think about a radio, uh, the music lyrics, uh, you know, all genres of music they have, you know, there's there's songs that Christians should be listening to. Certain genres are, are worse than others, but certainly plenty of evil influence there. How about our friends? All right, friends or acquaintances, and how they uh, can influence us. And you think about the subject of peer pressure. 
we go around, we're with our friends, our little friend group in school, and how they can pressure us to doing things uh, which we ought not to be doing. Or even our boyfriend or a girlfriend, all right? How can they influence me, right? I think about Samson and his issues with women. I don't know if we'd call him boyfriend or girlfriend, but uh, we see how those issues and those bad women, just like what we talked about in, in, in Matt's class, that those people can have huge influences in our lives. And yet we see the New Testament that we can have a positive influence, but it seems as though a lot of times it's the opposite, all right? That if we involve ourselves with those evil individuals, they influence us more than we influence them. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. Our co-workers, we can, you know, there's plenty of influence there. Uh, you think about if you're a part of some job and, uh, you know, you're around your in, individuals, maybe you're working in a factory, maybe you're working outside with some of these individuals. I mean, more like you're going to run into somebody that uses a lot of language. They, they're just mad. It's 120 degrees outside, and when it's 120 degrees outside, it doesn't take a lot for you to get mad. And these people have no control over what they say, what they're doing. You're seeing that, all right? And it's in, it can influence us. And if we're around those people that use that bad language, we have to be very careful because a lot of times it rubs on, off on us. Even we may not be saying those words that they're saying, but in our minds, all right? We can be thinking that, and we can just, again, it, it can cause a lot of problems for us, okay? And so... What we ought to be doing is, again, striving, uh, you know, to, in the best of our abilities to avoid those influences and don't let those influences get a hold of us and, and take root. So kind of flipping gears here, I want to look at, and this may, be, may be seem strange to some of y'all, but I, I think you'll see where I'm going with this. In Titus 1, verses 7 through 9, so this is talking about, qualifications of a bishop so or, or an elder and it says for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God not self-willed not quick-tempered not given to wine not violent not greedy nor money not not greedy for money but hospitable a lover of what is good sober-minded just holy self-controlled holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And then also, we'll see the qualifications again in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. And it says, This is the faithful saying, If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into, the, into reproach and the snare of the devil. So we see these qualifications. There's a lot of stuff there, okay? So think about that, and think about those qualifications. And besides the family requirements of being married, having children, besides the family requirements and 
We see in First Timothy three the, the the notion of being a novice. Okay, so excluding those two, okay, what is required of an elder that is not required of any Christian? And I kind of look through that, and it's like I don't. You know, let's go back and look at those. Okay, is it okay for a Christian to be self-willed or quick-tempered? Or given to wine, or violent, or greedy for money, or any of those other things that we that we seen, okay. No, obviously they shouldn't be involved in any of that. They should be able to teach, all right, to some degree. We also see going back through here this list here, First Timothy three, many of the same, okay. But again, we see that all of those characteristics for an elder, most of them that the Christian, the, the ordinary Christian, ought to be doing those same things. And also pay attention to verse 7, kind of going back to what we were talking about, walking in wisdom, that, we, that he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Should we all be looking for that? Well, obviously we all should. We just read some verses that said that we need to have, you know, walk, we need to be walking in wisdom, which would mean that we would have a good testimony towards those who are outside. And so, we think about that, and, and you think about when a man decides he won't, uh, maybe decide may be the right word, but he starts thinking about the need that for an elder, and, and possibly he would want to be an elder at some time, okay? So should a man who wants to be an elder start focusing on meeting the qualifications as soon as possible, or only when he is older or has a family. Obviously, I think we know the answer to this. The person should start focusing on meeting those qualifications as soon as possible. All right, so we talk, I mean, uh, we talk about young boys, you know, start thinking about working with them so that they would eventually grow up to be able to be an elder. All right? And so we think about that, that they, and, and, and I think I've noticed people that they would say, you know, I want to be an elder, and, and it seems as though that they're, you know, they're working on it all the time. They're thinking about those things, all right? So they're uh, uh, molding themselves to those characteristics that we see there, okay? And so we have an elder uh, wanting, you know, a person that's wanting to be an elder is, working on his qualifications as soon as possible, as soon as he, you know, basically as soon as he realizes that this is what he needs to be doing, starts working on them. So should a Christian start focusing on meeting the qualifications as soon as possible when they get older? Obviously, we know that it should be right now, all right? Right now is when we need, if we haven't been already started on it, we need to be working on that just as, po- just, you know, just as soon as possible. And it, and it seems I don't know. It just seemed like a lot. Some people have kind of a disconnect. They look at those qualifications of an elder, and they're just like, "Well, that's kind of something different than just the ordinary Christian." Well, some of it is, but most of it is not. Okay, and so you think about all these characteristics. Is if I don't meet any of, uh, don't meet those qualifications as a as a normal Christian, you know, am I fit for the kingdom of God? If I'm not blameless. If I'm not, if I'm self-willed or if I'm violent or if I'm greedy for money, am I fit for the kingdom of God? I think we see pretty plainly that I'm not, okay? And so when we look at that, 
again, uh, I, I don't think we should, uh, yes, these are qualifications for an elder, but I think this is, many of these are qualifications for any Christian. Am I measuring up to that? Am I this person that is being described here? And if not, it's time for me to change. All right? And so, and I think all of these kind of tie into this idea of being blameless and having a good testimony among those who are outside. When somebody looks at me, they may say, well, that Evan, he's, he's kind of weird. He's kind of crazy. I don't, I don't agree with any of the, the beliefs, but he's, he's a good person. I can tell that he believes the, the things that he's talking about because he's telling me that I shouldn't be doing X, Y, or Z. Well, he doesn't do it, and I see where he is striving to follow Christ. As, as, as much as possible, all right? So let's keep on going. So, walking in wisdom here. And just, just a few thoughts on this idea. Romans 14 and verse 19, I think most of us know the context here, talks about the individual's conscience, their scruples, and how some may have, you know, may be able to participate in some things that other Christians may not be able to participate in. In Romans 14 and verse 19, it says, Therefore, let's pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. Ephesians 4 and verses 29 through 32, says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So we see Romans 4. Pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify one another. Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. So, think about these two verses. Would we talk more or would we talk less if we follow the above verse? Okay. I think, think the answer for most of us is we'd probably talk a lot less. Okay. Are we talking to things or saying the things that make for peace? Are we saying things that edify one another? You know, are we saying uh, things that are not corrupt? Are we saying things that impart grace to the hearers? Or are we speaking things that bring down, tear down individuals? And I may have said this once. There's an individual that I work with, and uh, she saw me working on somebody's yard in in their neighborhood. And she makes a mention to, to me, the next neighbor. And she immediately starts dogging that neighbor. And, uh, you know, maybe not meanly, all right, but just start talking about how they're just, they're not good neighbors. And and just immediately doing that, and I was just like, it was kind of a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, wow, now this kind of makes a little bit more sense here, okay? Because I immediately started, well, I was like, well, what is she going to say about me when I'm not in the room? Uh, you know, and, and what kind of, uh, you know, uh, basically a reputation an individual that has uh, that type of mouth, 
you know, what type of reputation they have and how is it going to affect their ability of their Christian, affects their ability to spread the gospel. And uh, we ought to all be striving for that. So I think for a lot of us, we would talk a whole lot less if we followed the above, above verses. And another thing to think about is how much unedifying and provoking things do we say every day? You think about that for a minute. You think about our conversations, and you may say, well, that that was not edifying. All that did was call conflict. All that did was provoke individuals. None of that stuff, what we talked about, was, was useful. All right? I think we all probably get in those conversations at some point in our lives, and we ought to be, again, restraining ourselves from it, running from those things. Don't get involved with them. And so... I think this is a good point when we think about this idea of walking wisdom. A lot of it has to do with the things that we, we say. And I think that's probably the, the, the hardest thing to do is controlling our speech. I think, it's, at least for me personally, it's a, it's a whole lot easier to control what I do or my actions versus what we say. Because it can come out before we even realize it. So we ought to have a, have a hold on our tongue and the things that we say. So uh, that's the end of my lesson. I hope that it's been useful for y'all. You know, little things, talk, talking about this idea of walking in wisdom, walking circumspectly uh, with ourselves, you know, personally, and also around others and how uh, we should be applying those things. And so, you know, again, we see Colossians 1 that we talked about how we are reconciled to Christ, that we, ought to, that we can be holy and blameless and above reproach. But it's only, again, it's only through Christ. If there's anyone here who wants to be in Christ, they want to uh, be baptized for the remission of sins, we'd certainly uh, like to talk with those things, get those things squared up, and so that you can uh, become one of us, so you can become a part of the kingdom of God. And uh, if you are a Christian and you, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you're kind of like those individuals that we just talked about, that you're, you know, maybe... Maybe your tongue is getting you into trouble. You're saying those things which you shouldn't be doing, doing those things which you shouldn't be doing. Uh, you need the prayers of the saints. You need to confess anything, anything of that uh, matter. We certainly uh, offer this time of invitation uh, as we stand and as we sing. Will you come?